Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start in Romans chapter 3, and so uh, and we'll, we'll start there and then we'll come back to it a little bit later on, but we're going to be in several different locations. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at this line of the Apostles' Creed, the forgiveness of sins. And this is such a, a critical thing for us to understand as far as what we believe as Christians. We believe that there is forgiveness available to us for our sins. And that that forgiveness is not something that we have to work at. It's not something that we have to earn by any penance or any action on our part. It is merely a gift that God has given to us. And today we're going to be looking at the scriptures that that teach us these principles. So we'll start in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. This is probably a familiar verse for you. Uh, It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is a verse that has been very widely memorized. Uh, If you ever were in uh, in church growing up and and somebody taught you the Romans road, this is one of those verses that's on the Romans road. And basically it's important for us to acknowledge that all means all. The, the, The word there that says for all have sinned means every one of us. There's not one of us that is righteous. There's not one of us that that has completely maintained a a righteous way of life. All have sinned. All of us fall short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us. And here we kind of see what sin is all about. Here we kind of see sin is falling short. Sin is not measuring up. In other words, there is a standard of what is right and what is good and what is just and honest. There is a standard that has been set and that has been set by God himself. And there is that standard that we compare ourselves to. And if we do, all of us come up short. There is no other standard that we compare ourselves to. Now, we try. We might look at somebody else and we might say, well, I'm better than that person. I've done more than than they have for God. Or or I haven't done as many bad things as they've done. I haven't haven't gone off the deep end like they did. And we compare ourselves to other people, but that's not the standard that the Word of God is talking about. That is not the standard that we're supposed to compare ourselves to. The standard is God's glory. The standard is where He is at, and He is pure and holy and righteous. And compared to Him, we all fall short. Now, that's an extremely somber thing to come to terms with. The reality of sin means something, and it's not good. The teachings of the Scripture tell us that whenever we sin and we fall short of God's glorious standard, that we are are cast out of fellowship with Him. And to acknowledge the fact that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make up for our shortcomings, to bridge the gap between our unrighteousness and His holiness, if there is nothing that we can do, then that means that we, in and of ourselves are destined to punishment because our sins are serious in the eyes of God. Our sins are a problem that is severe. And these are unpopular things to say in our day and age. These are things that people don't like about 
our Christian message. These are those scriptures that we just try to dance past real quick so that we don't have to dwell on it because it is troubling. It is upsetting. But as upsetting as it may be to us, it is more heartbreaking to the Lord. But it's a truth we need to be aware of. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, God is saying to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in this camp. Right? I don't want to be dealt out retribution from the Lord when He comes with His angels in fire, flaming fire, it says. I don't want to be paying the penalty of eternal destruction. I don't want to be away from the presence of the Lord. But this is what's coming for those who are in rebellion against God. Those who will not be obedient to what His Word teaches. Those who think lightly of sin are those who don't understand the dire consequences that they bring about. And this is the reality that we must be aware of. And God has been saying this consistently for a very long time. He says to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says, so watch yourselves that you don't forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you and make for yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. And then he says this, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now listen, that word jealous, a lot of people kind of balk at that. They say, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like for you to say that God is jealous. Well, God said it. And the, the problem is not with the word jealous. The problem is not with God. The problem is our understanding and our interpretation of the word jealous. We see jealousy as a pretty negative thing in most of our culture today. People see someone as acting jealously as a, a character flaw. It's their lack of trust that makes them act that way. It's their own insecurities that make them act jealous. God is not insecure when it says that He is jealous. God knows what is exactly and rightfully His. He knows that you belong to Him. He knows that He created you for a purpose. And He created you for fellowship with Himself. He created you to belong to Him. And when we chase after other things, when we go after the things of this world, we are rebelling against His design for us. And we are not being everything that He wanted us to be. And God is jealous for us that we would be fully His. Now, Sin is such a problem because it is so pervasive and, and it's something that all of us fall into even though we may compare ourselves to each other and think that we're doing okay. The reality is that's not where the comparison goes. We need to understand that the standard was set by God. The standard He's given to us in His Word and none of us measure up. In James chapter 2, James says it this way. I, I love the book of James. He's so 
you know, just to the point, so direct. Sometimes he seems tactless even in the way that he addresses things. But listen to what he says here. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now listen, this is one of those sins that we probably wouldn't put very high on the list, right? If you're showing partiality, he says... It means if you're favoring someone over another person, he says you're committing sin. Amen. All of us are guilty of that. Some way or another, we do it even without trying to. Sometimes trying not to do it, we do it. He says if you show partiality, then you're committing sin. Why? Because the standard was set for us. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. If there is any neighbor around you that you come in contact with that you don't love with the same love that you have for yourself, you're committing sin. All of us have. If you show partiality, you're committing sin. You're convicted by the law as transgressors. And then he says this, whoever keeps the whole law Yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. Oof. To clarify, he goes on, he says, He who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So just because you didn't commit one of the quote-unquote big sins, according to human standards, if you broke one of the Ten Commandments, you're a transgressor of the whole law. You're either one who followed the law perfectly or someone who didn't. That's the standard. God's glorious, holy, unfettered righteousness. God's purity or not. That's the standard that God has set. And James says, if you, have, if you have come up short in any one of those, you're in this camp over here, separated from God. Completely outside of His holiness because He is holy. He's a consuming fire. Anything that exists in Him that is not pure as He is, is consumed. If we've committed one act of transgression, we're guilty of it all. This is the reality of sin. Now, just as a, a thought process here, uh, how many of you know all Ten Commandments? Could you list them off? You can start going through them in your head. And, you know, most people can usually get you know, at least three, right? The big ones are usually don't murder, don't commit adultery, right? There's something about lying, right? Bear false witness. All right, I, I did this myself, and I forgot one of them even. And uh, the one I've skipped over is the one that it's, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that's one that we can all... I skipped over honor your parents. So here they are in, in shorthand notation. This is the, the JPV. That's the JP version. It, it says, have no other gods. Make, do not make an idol. Don't use God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath rest. Honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet what other people have. Whew. 
And Jesus came along to bring some clarity to this. And he said, you, maybe you haven't actually raised your hand and killed your brother, but if you've thought about hating someone, if you've said to someone, you fool, well, you've committed murder in your heart. And so you're guilty just as if somebody, you know, who did it physically. So this, this set of commandments, these are God's standard that he set for us, and no one measures up. None of us. Not a single one of us measure up. There is no way that we can be pure. Because once you're impure, you can't get rid of that impurity by just putting in more good stuff. Like, if, if I... I'm thinking in my chemistry brain right now, but here's the thing. I'll try to make it as simple as I can. If you take pure water and you put in a pinch of salt, it is now salt water. It's no longer pure. If I keep putting more pure water in it, there's still salt in there, right? I'm not taking the salt out. I'm just adding more pure water. And that's kind of what we're trying to do in our lives sometimes. And that's what a lot of world religions say. It's like, well, you know, you're, you're, you're on a, a scale. And as long as you're, you're a little bit more good in your life than there is bad in your life, and, and the scale tips towards the good side, then maybe you'll have a shot at getting into heaven or nirvana or whatever kind of heaven they describe. As long as you do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, then you'll be all right. But that's not what the Scriptures teach us. You're either pure and able to have fellowship with God, or you're impure and outside of His fellowship. Those are the two options. And the reality is, if we're back to the salt water example, every day we put a little more salt in, don't we? We might try to pour some more pure water in as well, but every day... We're always putting more salt in that water. And so if we're in that back and forth, we're just getting more and more salt water. We're not getting any purer. It doesn't cancel out. There is not enough good that we can do in this world that will make up for the impurity of sin that's within us. There's not. Now listen, this is bad news, right? And you got to understand the bad news before you can really appreciate the good news. Because the good news is coming. But it goes a little darker before we get to the light. Here we go. In Revelation 21.8, this is towards the end of the book. This says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, and we're like, okay, good, he hadn't talked about me yet. We can lie to ourselves up to that point, right? I'm not there yet. And sorcerers, I'm not there. Idolaters, I don't have any idols at home. And all liars. Uh Oh. Now, if we go back and we we consider the fact that Jesus said, even if you have an angry thought, a hateful thought towards your brother, you've committed murder. He also told us that if we even look on a woman with lust, then we've committed adultery. That's immorality. Idolatry takes a lot of different forms. It doesn't always take statues. Idolatry is in us too. We're guilty of these things. And we're all liars at some point or another. And I understand that there's times where you might say, well, some lies are okay. Yeah, but you're not just telling those, right? If we get real honest and you're just telling nice lies so that you don't hurt people's feelings, 
those aren't the only ones you tell. We all tell lies. We lie to ourselves all the time. He says, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is what we're headed towards. That is what we earn from sin. Why? Because we can't have fellowship with God. We can't be in His presence with that impurity. It doesn't work. It doesn't coexist. And there's nothing that we can do to get rid of it in and of ourselves. Romans 6.23 puts it this way, the wages of sin is death. It's talking about the second death. The wages of sin is death. Hannah just got her first job and she's learning about wages, right? The wages we get are things where we put in enough time and they reimburse us for that time with enough money. So we've earned that money. It's not a gift. It's not like birthday money where it just comes in a card and you hadn't done anything but survived another year. Right? It's something where we've earned it. We've put in the time. We've given of ourselves to earn it. We have earned death, according to the Scriptures. Then he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll pause for just a second. This is, this is one of those verses. I learned it in, in Spanish whenever I was in high school. Right? I, it, if I can say it again now, it's like, El pago de pecado es muerte, mas la dádiva de Dios es vida eterna en Cristo Jesús, Señor nuestro. Right? That's probably not perfect, but you know, call me out on it if I get it wrong. <laughs> All right. But it's interesting here. You see where it says the word free gift in there. In Spanish, the, the one I learned, it, it uses the word dádiva. And there's another word in Spanish called regalo. Right? You know you're getting a Spanish lesson, right? So these two words, they have a different connotation to them. They both mean gift. But what my Spanish teacher in high school told us is that regalo is something that is like a, a, a benefactor giving to a beneficiary. This is something that it's like, well, I have things, you don't have anything, I'm giving to you. A, reg, a regalo is a gift where it's like, hey, you came to my birthday and got me a gift. I'm coming to your birthday. I'm giving you a gift. Yeah, we have something mutual between us. And the translators intentionally chose the word dadiva, which is a less commonly used word, because the gift that God gives us is a free gift. And that's, that's intoned in the, the Greek word that was chosen here. And that's why here, when it says, but the gift of God is eternal life, it doesn't just say gift. They had to put in, it's a free gift, right? It's not an exchange. God didn't give you eternal life because you gave him anything. It's not an exchange in any way, shape, or form. It is God pouring out Himself to you. It is God doing everything on His end. He is the benefactor and you're just the beneficiary. He is the one who provided it all. He's the one who earned it and He has given that free life to you as a gift. Not because of anything you did, not because of anything you could do. It is just God Himself reaching in and pulling out the imperfection of sin and giving you eternal life. That's what the Scripture teaches us. When it says the forgiveness of sins, if you believe 
in the forgiveness of sins, you believe in something marvelous. You believe in something unbelievable. You believe in something indescribable that God in His holiness, God in His power, God in His deserved adoration and honor would bypass all of that and give to you the gift of free life. The gift of eternal life. It's incredible. We had no hope of getting there. We had no way of getting there. It it is impossible for us to become pure once we've become impure. It is only through what Christ has done. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, he says, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not ours only, but also for those of the whole world. The word propitiation is kind of a sticky word in our, our language today. It's not one that you find very often. Other translations I looked at use the phrase atoning sacrifice. That Jesus was the atoning sacrifice means that He laid down His life. He was a sacrifice that atoned for. It means it covered your sins. In the message it says, He solved the sin problem for good. Jesus Christ was the propitiation for our sins. It is the payment in full. It is the wages that we deserved. Jesus received those wages in our place. And because He received the wages of our sin, He received the death that we deserved. Because He was separated from God when He was there on the cross and He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is because He went through that that we have any hope of glory. Because He received the payment in full. Once and for all, He was the propitiation for our sins. And not just ours, but for the whole world. His sacrifice was sufficient for every sin of every person in every time Jesus paid the price. Now, I want to go back to Romans chapter 3 here. I love this passage of Scripture because when we look at this, we say, okay, if, if God is truly righteous and God is truly just, then how can He forgive sin? I mean, if you really stop and think about it, if there was a judge who was sitting on his bench and he looked at criminals who came through his, his courtroom and they were sure enough guilty, and he said, I'm going to forgive your, your sin. I'm going to forgive your transgression. I'm going to forgive your crime. And I'm not going to issue any sentence at all. And he just let them all go free. Would he be allowed in our society to keep that place on his bench? No. We would think that that was... Unjust. We, we, would be, we would think no way should a judge sit in a place of authority and just hand out forgiveness to people. And sometimes we look and we see in the Scriptures it says that God forgives our sins. He offers it as a free gift to us. Now is God being unjust when He does that? Is that fair? For God to forgive my sin? Thank goodness. No, it's not fair. But it is just. Why? Not because of anything that I did. 
but because of what he did. Look with me in Romans 3, verse, starting back up in verse 22. It says, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So we have all sinned, but we are justified as a gift. He goes on, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. You see, God justifies us as a gift through what Jesus went through on the cross. It says, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that little phrase at the end of that verse. God is just and the justifier. Another translation I read as I was studying for this, it says that God is righteous and the one who declares righteous. God is is holy and He is the one who makes us holy. And He can be both because of what Christ did on the cross. You see, God doesn't just stand there and hand out forgiveness to you as if it was just something He was going to do anyway. Because that wouldn't be just. That wouldn't be righteous. That wouldn't be right according to His own standards. His own standards say that sin has a penalty. Sin earns death. And if He just handed out free life to everyone without there being a payment of death, then we would have no no hope in a righteous and holy God. He wouldn't be righteous and holy. But... Because He Himself put on this flesh, came in the form of Jesus Christ, and He went to the cross and He died. Because He received the punishment that we all deserve. Because He let His own life be a a payment, a, a, a sacrifice, a placeholder for us. Because He received the punishment upon Himself, He is still just because He has punished sin. But He's the justifier because He has made us righteous with Him. It's an amazing thing that God has done. It is a beautiful gift that God has given us. It is unreal to imagine that a holy and righteous God would love us enough that He would take the penalty of our sin and give us His righteousness and His holiness so that we could have fellowship with Him. When we talk about the forgiveness of sins, it is a remarkable truth and reality. And so what do we do in light of that? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says it this way. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Earlier, Paul had said in this same letter, he said to them, Listen, uh, you have been saved. Sorry, I had a... Moment of distraction here because my thing is making noise. Anyway, he says, earlier he says, for by faith, 
No. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is Ephesians 2.8. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no one would boast. It is not of works. So he is very clearly told the church at Ephesus, listen, your salvation is not because of anything you worked out. It's not because of anything you have done. It was a gift of God by grace through faith. And then now he says, so walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Because God has set you free, because God has dealt with that sin problem that you had, that there was no way for you to get rid of. Because God has dealt with it on his own, by his own means. Then live in a manner worthy of that calling. Live like you have been redeemed. Live as if that's true. In 1 John, in chapter 2, he says this, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, he's saying, I'm writing this so that you may not sin. Why? Because sin should go away. Sin should be something we are striving not to continue to practice. It should be something that we are, we are getting better and better as time goes on at resisting and running from. Sin should not mark the life of a Christian. Instead, repentance should. He goes on, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. If you want to know if you're in, if you want to know if you belong, then you need to check and see, are you striving to keep His commandments? He says, the one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. If you continue to make excuses for sin in your life, you haven't understood what God has done for you. There's a chance that you have mentally assented to it. You have acknowledged, yes, that payment was paid for my sins, but you haven't really understood what that means. And you haven't really entered into a relationship with your Savior because when we come into relationship with Him, we strive to keep His commandments. We want the things that He wants and we are yielded to be shaped into His image. Now listen, none of us are perfect. And I understand that I will never, as long as I'm living in this flesh, Make it to where I am perfect and sinless. But the goal, the hope, the drive is to be more and more impervious to temptation. To become less and less prone to sin. To become stronger at standing against temptation We have this hope in us. And he mentioned it there in in chapter 2, but at the end of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, If we confess our sins, then He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. 
We believe it because Christ did it for us. And unless Christ had gone to the cross and died in our place, we would have no hope of eternity with Him. God forgave our sins. And it was absolutely necessary because then we would have no fellowship with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. We have not yet received a glorified body. It's coming. There will be a day in the resurrection whenever we are given a new body. And and things will be different then, but for now, as we walk in this world, we strive to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And when we sin, we don't hide it. We don't try to cover it up. We don't make excuses for it. Instead, we confess it. We admit it to God. We say, God, this is something I did and this is wrong. Your word says it's wrong. And as I acknowledge that, I surrender my life to you. Help me stand against it. And he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's forgiveness for your sins. It's the biggest problem that we face in this life. I know that you may think you have big problems. The biggest issue that any of us face is sin. Because that will separate us from a relationship with God. And that is the greatest tragedy of all. There is nothing worse than being separated from God. Sin is your biggest problem. And Jesus Christ paid the price to deal with your sin once and for all. And as we confess our sins, continuing to walk this Christian life, He is faithful and just to forgive them. And then cleanse us from that unrighteousness. Let's strive to live in a manner worthy of the calling. Let's strive to lay aside sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run the race that's before us. Let's pray. God, I thank You for Your Word that tells us the truth. Lord, we need the truth in our lives. We need to be responding to You instead of trying to cover up our sins. We need to yield to You and heed Your call to be changed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to be more and more like You. Father, I pray that for the sins that we have, we have permitted into our lives, Lord, that, that we've made excuses for, that we've made allowances for, that we think we have in moderation or in control in some way, shape, or form. Father, I pray that we would recognize it the way that you recognize it. Father, that we would call sin, sin. Father, I pray that as we do that, as we confess to you, this is a problem in my life. This is something that I have not won the victory over. 
Father, I pray that we would have the humility and the honesty just to lay it before you. And as we do, Lord, we just claim your promise where you said that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we'll only confess it to you. Father, help us to live that way. Or that when we sin, we acknowledge it, confess it, and move on. And Lord, I pray that though we may not be perfect today, we may not be perfect tomorrow or next week or the next year, Lord, I pray that we would be on the journey, moving forward, getting closer and closer as each year goes by, closer and closer to the image of your Son. Lord, help us. Thank you for paying the price once and for all. May we live in a manner worthy of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just invite you to respond to the Lord this morning. Again, if you'd like to pray with me, I'm always here and willing to pray with you. If you have questions about this, I, I would love to talk to you more about it. Listen, we're all figuring this out. Life is difficult sometimes. And there are sometimes sins in our life that we just can't seem to get over. The Scriptures tell us that there are opportunities for us to, to work through those things. And a lot of times that involves working together with a community of believers. We need others alongside us to help us be what we've been called to be. And maybe that's where you're at. But just be honest before the Lord. And if there's sin in your life that needs to be dealt with, He'll give you the strength to overcome it. But more importantly, there's forgiveness for you right now, today. Confess your sins and be forgiven. You respond to the Lord as teacher and leads us in song.